0: Well, Jeff just read to you chapter 14, verses 20 through 25. But actually, I decided a couple days ago, it was too late to update the bulletin, that I was going to also preach tonight verses 26 through 40. So if you've got your Bible, you you can look and see. You might even have to turn a page to look at all the text that we're going to go through tonight. thats 21 verses. 21 verses. I would, I would normally not take on that much text to try and preach in one sermon. But I've decided that I, I just want to get out of this chapter, to be honest with you. This is the inspired Word of God, no doubt, and it is useful for us, no doubt. And there are principles here that are timeless, no doubt, and apply to us. But there is a lot that's going on in this chapter that was very specific to the church in Corinth, there is a lot in this chapter that Christians for 2,000 years have been trying to figure out. And when you look at verse 1 of chapter 15, I mean, if you got your Bible open, look at verse 1 of chapter 15. I mean, that thing will preach. Paul gets right to the gospel. So I think I'm also eager to get there. So... God willing, we are going to get through the rest of this entire chapter. We are ending a a long section of this book, which began all the way back in chapter 11. So you got part of chapter 11 and 12 and 13 and 14. And in these chapters, Paul has been constructively criticizing the Corinthians worship service. So it would be like Paul writing us a really long letter and saying these are some things about Sunday night or Sunday morning when you come together that are not what they should be. And Paul takes it really serious. He has a ton of criticism for them. It's constructive. It's criticism nonetheless. We're going to see that Paul ends the section The very same way he began it, by reminding the Corinthians that their worship service, it was for the glory of God, and it was for the good of other people. It was so that others would be built up. The worship service wasn't and isn't mainly about attending and expression It's certainly not about entertainment. It is about edification. It is about people like you and me being helped and being encouraged and being built up by God's Word. And so Paul, he has just a couple more things to say as he wraps up this difficult, hard-to-swallow portion of his letter I'll pray, and we'll get into this together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I hope you haven't been offended, God, at what I've said about chapter 14. I'm not making light of your word. It's a tough chapter to think through, and it's a tough chapter to organize into thought, and it's a tough chapter to preach. So I'm very dependent on you, all of us are. God, we want to be educated tonight. I'm confident we can be educated tonight. But we also, we want to be encouraged and emboldened by the gospel. So would you come and would you help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we will look at these 21 verses tonight in two sections. In two sections. The first are the verses that Pastor Jeff read, verses 20 through 25, and will be titled Mature Thinking. You'll see that right away. So section 1, verses 20 through 25, Mature Thinking. And then the second section will be the rest of the chapter, verses 26 through 40, and will be called Decency and Order. And if you look at verse 40, you'll understand why we're naming the section that way. So mature thinking first, and then decency and order. Here's the point. Mature thinking and decency and order were necessary to build up the church. That was the main point. The main point remains. Mature thinking and decency and order are essential to build up this church. So let's read the text together. Let's figure out what that means. Mature thinking and decency and order. And let's begin with mature thinking. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And now specifically, Paul wants the Corinthians to think maturely about tongues, about this gift of tongues. If you haven't been here, listen to weeks past. We've been talking a lot about this gift of tongues. He doesn't want them to think superficially about it. He doesn't want them to think shallowly about it, which they were. He wants them to get deep and think maturely. He has been absolutely hammering the Corinthians misuse of tongues. I went back and looked at from chapter 12 through 14 and looked at all the ways that he is just hammering the Corinthians. He has not spoken positively about the use of tongues in Corinth. And he's got one more thing to say. He has one more thing to say in this text tonight. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Verse 21, in the law... It is written. And in this case, when Paul says the law, he means the Old Testament. He means specifically Isaiah chapter 28. And he will now quote verse 11 and 12 from Isaiah 28. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then... They will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. So let me take you back in history Let's understand what Isaiah was saying because Paul quotes him. The prophet Isaiah, he wrote those words around the year 700 B.C. And he wrote them to the southern kingdom of Israel 15 years after the northern kingdom had been judged and destroyed by God through the Assyrian army. And as Isaiah writes, the southern kingdom is repeating the same folly of the north. They are in rebellion against God. And so God warns them through Isaiah. Knock it off or the same thing that happened to the rest of Israel is going to happen to you. So God warned them through Isaiah, and they mock him. In fact, earlier in chapter 28 of Isaiah, you can read about that. They blow him off. They totally mock him. And the prophet says, fine. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. In other words, since Israel had rejected Isaiah's understandable words, they were soon going to hear unintelligible words, strange tongues by the lips of foreigners, which in the 500s BC would be the Babel of the Babylonians. And that would be And this is in other places in the Old Testament as well. When they heard this foreign language that they did not understand, that would be a sign to them that God's patience had ended and judgment had begun. Time was up. The alarm had gone off. No more patience. Judgment was here. And you know it because you're hearing the lips of foreigners, in that case, who were there to conquer them. Here's how this applies to the Corinthians. That's the question. Why is Paul quoting that? These tongues that were happening in Corinth were, among other things that we've already looked at, They were a sign to the unbelieving Jews in Corinth that they were under the judgment of God. Curiously, in about 20 years after Paul writes this, Jerusalem will be completely destroyed by a new enemy. And then see in the verses to follow verses 23 through 25 now, that Paul points out how this was happening in Corinth. Unbelieving Jews were hearing foreign tongues in these worship services among God's people which hardened them in their unbelief as they turned away, verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Alternatively, and now here Paul promotes prophecy again, which he's done over and over again. Demote tongues, promote prophecy. Verse 24, But if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or outsider enters. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face. He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You get the main point there. Prophecy was building people up. Tongues, they were not. To the unbelievers among them, they were even a sign of judgment, which is why Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 28. And so again, Paul is very critical of the Corinthians' understanding and use of the gift of tongues. And he is promoting, and here's a point of application for us. He's promoting prophecy in that day because in that day it was the clear communication of God's revealed truth. How about less tongues, Paul is saying? How about more prophecy? Because, and what did he say in verse 24 and 25? Look what happens. People hear God's word. This happens today. I pray it happens tonight. People hear God's word. They are convicted. They are, verse 24, called to account. Verse 25, the secrets of our heart are disclosed. We fall on our face. We worship God and declare that he is really among us. Moving on now. Something else is essential, and it is decency and order. So that was mature thinking, thinking deeply about what we do here, and now decency and order. Verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done, here it is again, for building up. What does that sound like to you in verse 26? If you were to walk into the back door of one of these services at Corinth, What does that description sound like? It was chaos, wasn't it? It was absolute chaos. And we know that from these past chapters. Wives were disregarding their husbands. The rich were ignoring the poor. They were running out of communion Emblems, the gifted, were looking down on the less gifted. There was division. There was palatable strife. People were speaking out and over one another. It was total chaos in Corinth. And so Paul begins this last pericope with the phrase, Let all things be done. For building up, verse 26, and then he ends with look at verse 40. So this is the book ends, let all things done for building up. And then verse 40 all things should be done decently and in order. So put that all together. Paul is saying that the church will be built up when public worship is done decently and in order why because verse 33 God is a god of peace and not confusion decently it means what you probably know it means it means well mannered means respectful to one another. It means polite. In order means organized, not chaotic. It's very straightforward what Paul says. Let all things be done when you assemble as God's people so that they may be built up. Let all things be done decently and in order. And the reason he gives is that God is a God of peace. He's not a God of confusion. In other words, we want to reflect God well. When people visit, when people come and are among us, or when we are here, they should learn something about the God that we serve just in how we conduct our services and relate to one another. And now Paul gets very practical with them. He has specific ways these aren't issues here in this church but he has specific ways that they need to adjust their decency and their manners and their organization when they come together for worship. So he addresses three particular groups that were causing problems. They are speaking out and over one another. It is not well-mannered. It is not well-ordered. And it's resulting in this chaos and confusion. So the three groups are tongue-speakers, prophecy speakers, and women. As far as I know, we don't have any tongue speakers here. We don't have many prophecy speakers, but we have a lot of women. So let's read what Paul has to say about each of them, and let's begin with tongues. I notice more people are looking at their Bibles now verse 27 because I'm going to read something in a minute that if you're not really familiar with God's word, you might not think it's actually there unless you read it. We'll get there. Let's start with verse 27. It's about tongues. If any speak in a tongue, I mean, how practical is this? What does he say? Let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So he says, hey, at the most, you got your worship service, at the most have three tongue speakers. They need to talk one at a time, and there must be interpretation. Verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself And to God. He says otherwise silence. That's his instruction. That's very straightforward. Then he addresses prophecy. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there. Let the first be silent. Four, you can call all prophecy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Same rules. Same rules. At most three, you got prophecy one at a time. It needs to be evaluated. Otherwise, silence. This is very practical. You wonder if Paul heard that they just were having these hours upon hours upon hours of service that says this is unnecessary. You don't need to do this. People are not being built up. Here are some rules for you to follow so that things will be done decently and in order. You'll represent God well. He's not a God of confusion so that all may learn and be encouraged because the purpose is that the church be built up. Verse 32, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. In other words, evaluate these prophets based on the prophets. The spirits of these people who claim and may be prophets, you hold them accountable, they must be subject to, that means in submission to, The prophets. So whatever they were saying. Whatever these prophets were saying, it needed to be in submission to what the proven prophets of the Old Testament had already said. Verse 33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So, Tongue speakers and prophets stop speaking over one another, Paul says. Slow down and make sure that everyone can understand so that the church may be built up. One last group. Look at the second half of verse 33. As in... All the churches of the saints, the women, should keep silent in the churches. Whoa, Paul. Whoa. Easy. Easy. You can't say that out loud. That is not very woke. That's insensitive. What does Paul mean? People are thinking, quick, qualify that, Paul. Say something else. Start talking about something else. Make it clear what you mean by that. Like, do you mean period? All women should keep silent in the churches. So is Paul saying that women should close their mouths in the car and then go to church and then they can open them again when they get back in the car? Is that what Paul is saying? When he says women, it sounds like it, you should keep silent in the churches. Every husband is nervous right now that I'm going to answer that in the affirmative. That's not what Paul's saying. That is not what Paul is saying. He can't be saying that. Because in chapter 11, verse 5, for example, and there's lots of reasons he's not saying that, but just a few chapters earlier in this very same section... He positively acknowledged that women were praying and prophesying in the worship service. Now, there was a problem with head coverings, but the problem wasn't that they were praying and prophesying. So, so he doesn't mean that women cannot open their mouths in the church service. We've got to figure out what he means. This is interesting. If you look at verse 34, the word submission... That is the same exact Greek word that is subject to in verse 32. Same exact word. So let's read everything he says here. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. He referred to the law of the Old Testament before, and now he refers to it again. He's most likely referring to Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 24, and Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. When he says something similar in 1 Timothy 2, he practically quotes Genesis. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he practically quotes Genesis. So most likely he's referring to Genesis, where, in the very beginning of your Bible, God makes clear that though men and women are equal, equal in value, equal in worth, equal in identity, that they are actually not equal in functionality, In other words, men and women, though equal, they are different, and they are different for a reason. And those differences determine how they ought to relate to one another. And we would say in complementary relationships. So let me explain what I think was going on in Corinth. Wherever Christianity has spread... Going all the way back to the first century, it has totally liberated women who were in societies that saw them as second-class citizens. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one, and another all equal. You are all one in Christ. Christ Jesus. So then, what you have along with this revolutionary, liberating teaching, what you have along with that in several recorded instances just in the Bible is women exercising their freedom but taking it too far. Now, we can all take freedoms too far. Our priority is not to exercise our freedoms. Our priority is to glorify God. Our priority is to love God and to love one another. Sometimes that means restricting your own freedom. Sometimes that means giving up your own freedom. Sometimes that means not exercising your freedoms. And so there should have been some restraints On some of these women, and there wasn't. So they were taking this freedom that they really did have, taking it too far. And I think what was happening in this case is that wives in the church, that will be made clear in the next verse, that these are married women. They were openly questioning and interrogating the prophets. That's what Paul was just talking about right before. And we know that that was going on. So I think these were wives that were openly questioning and interrogating the prophets, which was disruptive. I mean, that was disruptive in the same way multiple tongue speakers and multiple prophets. It was, it was disruptive in that same way, but in addition to being disruptive Paul said it was also shameful. It's a little different. When these wives were openly questioning these prophets, that was not just disruptive, it was actually shameful because. It was shameful because it dishonored God by ignoring the order of authority that God had established in the home and in the church. So it would have been better. It would have been better, Paul says, for women to wait until they were home and then talk freely to their husbands about it. That would have been more decent and in order. Verse 35. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for... It is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So think of it like this. If anyone in the, in the middle of this sermon, if anyone, man or woman, child, if anyone were to get up and to start shouting in the middle of my sermon, it would be disruptive. If though, if the wife of a husband here were to do that, it would also be shameful. That's the point that Paul is making. And when that kind of thing happens, it actually communicates something to the people that are present. And this is the problem. It does not properly reflect who God is, or even what we believe. So if we neglect decency and order, then the church will suffer, is the point Paul is making. So Paul wants to get rid of these obstacles to the clear communication of God's truth, getting out and into the hearts of people so that they may be changed. Finally, Paul brings this long section to a close with a strong warning and then a summary instruction. His warning is in these verses 36 through 38. Listen to how sharp it is. Or, was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? He's saying, Are you really that special? Are you that unique, Corinthians? Are you more spiritual than everyone else? You shouldn't feel that way. Verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. How serious does Paul take these instructions To the church about how they publicly gather. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. That is, they will not be recognized as a Christian if they don't recognize these instructions. And then Paul's summary. Of his concluding thoughts here in verses 39 and 40. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. In conclusion, I'm looking forward to chapter 15 next week. But how important is Sunday worship? I know you hear me say this, and you hear your elders say this, and I I hope you hear people who are a part of this church say this. It's not just our thing. How important is Sunday worship for four chapters Paul is helping the Corinthians to get this right. The church, listen, the church is most clearly the church when it gathers together in one assembly. Let me say that again. It's not when we're scattered, it's when we're gathered The church is most clearly the church when we are gathered together in one assembly. Did you know that the Greek word that Jesus uses to describe the church? God's people. And there's lots of other words that were used. Even in the book of Matthew, Before Jesus, in chapter 16, uses this word. The Greek word is ekklesia. And it's translated in your Bible as church. He says to Peter, I will build my church. Well, Jesus didn't make up that word. That was an old word. And do you know what the word church means? It means the assembly. It means the assembled ones. And so when a group of people, for example, a council would get together in a city and they would vote and make a decision about the direction of the city, that was called an ecclesia. It was an assembly. It was a gathering. That is what Jesus has called us as his people. We are an assembly. So what we do when we assemble is very important. If you don't get anything else out of this last chapter, please take that home. We should think maturely. We should do things decently and in order. We should love one another. We should be united. We should practice the Lord's Supper correctly and on and on. This is where we should be built up. Primarily, this is where we should be built up when we come together as God's children. And so Paul focuses, especially in this last chapter 14, on removing all the obstacles that there might be, that the truth may come through. And then we'll see next week The very next verse, you you could feel Paul is just itching to get there. All this practical instruction about the assembly, and then the very next verse, now may I remind you of the gospel. And God willing, we'll think about that in detail next week. In just a few moments, we get to take communion together, where we will eat this bread and drink this juice, these symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus. And we will remember and celebrate what he has done. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have leaders who would serve you communion tonight. If you're here and visiting and you are a baptized believer who is committed to this church or another church that faithfully preaches the gospel, you're invited to take communion with us. Everyone who's doing that, if you would stand up so the leaders know who to serve, we'll bring you bread and juice, and then if you could sit down so that we know you've been served, and then wait, and we'll take it together as a family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time you've given us tonight. Thank you for the songs we've had to sing, the words we've had to read, the truth we've had to hear. We pray that you would deepen our understanding of what it means to love one another when we come together, of what it means to build one another up as we come together to worship you. And now be glorified. Be glorified as we obey you through this supper, remembering the death of your son, proclaiming it to one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.